You're giving me a look. Hello, folks, and welcome to Brown and Out. Today we're talking to Brandon Carter. How's it going, Brandon? I'm doing all right. How are you, young Reg? I'm doing well today, Brandon. Um, it's, as always, great to see you. Um, what are a few things that folks should know about Brandon? Let's see. Um, I graduated from Morgan State University. Oh, okay. Where's that? Uh, in Baltimore City. It's a historically black college in Baltimore City. I'm from Columbia, Maryland, and I think it's uh, interesting to know that because Columbia was actually created so that uh, different ethnic groups and different classes of people could live together after segregation in the 60s. Maryland was very progressive. Uh, somewhat, I'll say. Uh, let's see, what else should you know about me? Um, I actually relocated here in December of 2016 um, because I accepted a promotion with my job. So I know, yeah, you are from Maryland, from Columbia, Maryland. Yes. What can you tell us about the DMV? What exactly would you like to know about the DMV? Uh, it's a little different from Vermont. Right. I, I guess that's what I'm getting at is how is the culture um, there different than the culture here generally? Like what are like some main things? Like... Uh, one, there are no black people here. And... None? <laughs> Not one? Well, we're here, so that's two mm-hmm. out of the five. Um, D.C. used to be called Chocolate City, so that could kind of give you uh, an idea of how different it is being from that area compared to here. Used to? Yeah. I haven't heard as many people call it Chocolate City uh, lately, but it used to be called Chocolate City. And Vermont is certainly not Chocolate City. So, Is that something um, you miss? Um, let's see. Yes, definitely. Um, there's nothing like seeing people who look like you, uh, seeing people who have common interests that you have, um, and also just being around friends and family that you've known your entire life. This is definitely a huge difference. But, um, you know, you keep it moving. You are an avid hiker. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that I'm definitely getting my feet wet in hiking. Uh, I try to go at least once a month uh, to clear my head, get some exercise in. It's a good time. Uh, last week, I actually went hiking by myself, which was great because I didn't have to try to keep up with anybody. So uh, it kind of made for a better experience. Where did you go? I went to Camel's Hump. That's actually my favorite hike here. So this was, that was my first fourth time doing it. Um, doesn't seem to get any easier each time that I do it. It actually <laughs> took me longer this last time than it has any other time. I will not say how long it took, but it took longer <laughs> than usual. Um, but it was still a good time. It's a challenging hike, I think. Is it the second highest? I think it's the third highest. It's Mansfield, then something else, and then Camel's Hump. You should probably know that better than I would. I've been on several hikes. Uh, I'm no novice. But what I was getting at was that you are an avid hiker, and you like to post uh, pics to the gram, Yes, shall we say, of your adventures, and you often, you hashtag black men hike. Can you tell us about hashtag black men hike? 
<clears throat> so typically whenever I post something, I do like to have some sort of hashtag. Um, and it's funny that you ask that because people often ask me, why do I bring up race so often? Um, why does something have to be a black men hike? Why can't it just be men hike or guys hiking? Uh, people often ask me, why do I have to reference black people in a lot of the things that I say and do? And I do that because I think it's important to see black men doing things other than what you may see on TV or what you may hear in the news. I think it's important to see examples of the things that we really do in our day-to-day -day lives opposed to what we are often portrayed as doing. So it's really just that simple. It's not to offend anybody or to you know exclude anybody, but I think it's, it's important to understand that as black men, we do other things, and we do a lot of things that you may not expect us to do. So people say that you bring up race often? Yes. Really? Yeah. Go on. Well, I think that it's odd to, especially, I haven't really heard that until I moved here. Uh, I think a lot of people don't understand why I often have race on my mind. And I think it's, well, I know it's because I'm black, one, and I'm a black man in America, too. Um, I have constantly been reminded of race since I was a child. When I was in second grade, I remember that was the first time I was called a nigger um, by a friend. Well, I thought he was a friend of mine who I used to play with. And we were on the playground one day, and he was like, you know you're a nigger, right? And it was honestly the first time that I had ever heard that. And I gave him a look because I, I, something in me just told me that it wasn't something that I wanted to be called. And when I looked at him, he said, well, it's okay, because I'm a cracker, too. So, and that was also the first time that I had heard that term being used. So I remember walking home, and when I got home, I told my mother, I said, hey, this um, boy, I won't say his name, I said, he said that I was a nigger and that he was a cracker, um, and he asked me if I knew that. And so my mother kind of just gave me a look, and she said, okay have a seat. Uh, I sat on the couch. She went next door, and then she brought the entire family back over um, to our house, because they were our next-door neighbors, and one by one, they all apologized to me for the son using that word, because he obviously got it from somewhere. Uh, when I was in late elementary, early middle school, I remember one of the white boys coming up to a group of us, and he said, you know, the darker you are, that means that your body is sick. And the lighter you are, that means that you're healthier. So, you know, you, you hear those types of things. I remember being a kid and playing with a young white girl in the neighborhood that I had a crush on and spinning her around in a circle. And her mother literally came outside and told her to get in the house. And then after that day, um, anytime I would see her, she would say, I'm not allowed to play with you or talk to you anymore. So even though I grew up in an area where different races were supposed to interact and mingle, oftentimes I was found in a place where I was constantly reminded that I was different from a lot of the kids that I used to play with. And then, of course, as I got older uh, and my friends and I got stopped by the police, we had to get out of the car, we had to lay on the ground. You know, those types of things have, ha have happened to me a few times in my life. So you're constantly reminded that you are black. So there's really no, there's no getting away from it. It's not something that I would want to escape, but I say that just to explain to people that 
you know, as a black man in the United States, you are constantly reminded of your color, and there's really no getting away from it. Um, I also wanted to ask, when people say you bring up race too often, um, who, are, who are these people? <laughs> well, they're typically white, number one. <laughs> um, so what's up with that? I think to them, honestly, a lot of people say, I don't see race, which is nice to say, but it's not very realistic. A lot, wait, a lot of people or a lot of white people? A lot of white people right. like to say that they don't see race. And I think that it's great that they, they feel that they don't have any bias against uh, people of color. But at the same time, I don't know that it's healthy to say that you don't see race. Because if you don't see race, you're not acknowledging the difference between us. And my life is not the same as your life. So you, I cannot walk through life and simply say that I don't see color because I'm reminded of my color. So you constantly saying that you don't see color doesn't really help the cause at all. I think it's a little more uh, detrimental than it is helping, honestly. But I understand that they're coming from a place where they're saying, I don't care that you're black. I don't care that I'm white. I just... So why is it that you care so much? And it's not that I care, but I'm reminded of it. You know, I may joke and say certain things, or I, make, I might make references to certain things. And it's not to say that I have an issue with white people. It's not to say that I have an issue with being black. But there are differences, and I honestly don't see the harm in pointing out those differences from time to time. The statement, I don't care that you're black, is that helpful? It's not helpful, but like I said, I, I understand that from them, they're coming from a place of saying, we're cool because we're cool. I don't care that you're this color or you're that color, which I think to a certain extent is kind of innocent, the place that it's coming from with some people. Um, but, you know, like I said, I don't always have that luxury to kind of bop through life not seeing color. So, you know, it's a little more difficult for me to erase the fact that I am black when I'm interacting with people. I'm always very careful of the things that I do, not always the things that I say, but certainly the things that I do, because I know that I'm black and I know that I'm in an area where there are not a lot of black men. So I'm definitely conscious of how I look and I'm conscious of the things that I do. So you feel like you're a little bit on guard. You know, I will say that I'm a little on guard. Um, I guess a funny example, uh, my previous boss, I was over his house, and his son um, took a liking to me. His son's about 12, 11 or 12. And he was like, oh, Brandon, come upstairs into my room and look at my dragons. I have some dragons upstairs in my room. And I was like, you know, I'm not going to go upstairs in your room. <laughs> but if you would like to come downstairs and bring me this dragon, I'll certainly take a look at it with you. Of course. And his mother was listening, and she said, oh, go ahead. You can go upstairs and go in his room and play and whatever. It's fine. And then my boss heard, and he was like, what's going on? And his wife said, oh, Brandon didn't want to go upstairs in our son's room uh, to look at his dragons. And my boss was like, oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead and play. I said, you know... I'm a 34-year-old black man. I'm not going to go upstairs uh, in your son's room and play. <laughs> One, I think it's a little inappropriate. And two, I just don't feel comfortable doing that. 
And most black people I know are not letting you upstairs in their room anyway. We, a lot of times, you know, if you're having a get together, if you're having people over, you stay on the main floor. You don't go upstairs and walk in people's rooms and look in their bedrooms and their bathrooms and that sort of thing. So, you know, it's, it's a funny example, but it just shows that sometimes culturally we just come from very different places and we perceive situations to be very different. You said something, you said uh, something about colorblindness and you feel like maybe at best white folks are trying to say, I'm cool because we're cool. Like, I don't, I'm not, I don't see your color. You know, mm-hmm. we're just, we're chill, right? Right. Wouldn't it be better to say, I know that I'm white <laughs> and I know that you're black and I'm going to do better to make sure I leverage my privilege and speak up for you when I see that you're being harmed by the racist system we all inherited. I, that would obviously be a great stance for white people in general to take. I think that it would, I think that we have to start at a place where we're comfortable just simply acknowledging and talking about race. You know, a lot of people get very uncomfortable and they start walking on eggshells when you mention race. And I think that if we could just get to a place where you're comfortable talking about race, I know you're not racist, you know you're not racist, stop being so uncomfortable when you hear the topic of race come up, because I think that's what keeps us from really moving forward. You know, I think that there's been a lot of discussion about trans rights and about, you know, gender, what gender do you identify as? And I think that it's great, and I think that it's really cool that, you know, we're moving toward a place in this country where different types of people are being accepted. But then I think to the black community, it's, um, it's honestly alarming at times that people can be so accepting or be so open to discuss some of these topics. But then when it comes to discussing race relations, everybody wants to get very quiet. And I, I think that it's, you know, it becomes confusing to a person of color when we're, you know, marching for the rights of others that don't seem to include the, the right to simply exist as a black person in this country. Are you saying that you wish um, gay pride marches, you know, LGBTQ marches took more of a, a stand in solidarity with something like Black Lives Matter and things like that? I, I do, and I think that it's very important You know, it's difficult to mix the discussions of being black and being gay in this country. You know, uh, is it? It is. It is. (laughs) Sorry, that was facetious. Sorry, I'm sorry. Um, The black community, I feel as a whole, does not necessarily accept uh, homosexuality. You know, in some cases, it's better to cheat on your wife or to beat your wife or to do something crazy like that than it is to be gay, because at least if you if you made a mistake and cheated on your wife or you, you know, you hit a female or something like that, at least you can pray for it and you can, well, certainly if you're a celebrity, well, right. Um, but I think when it comes to being gay, especially when it comes to being gay and black, it's very difficult to find a group that's going to stand up for you and that's going to support you and support your rights. So I, I think it just makes the discussion very difficult. The, I do not believe in my heart that Black Lives Matter or that, you know, any groups that are 
sticking up for the rights of black people are going to stand in solidarity with gay rights groups. And I, I you under- don't? I don't. I don't. And I, I understand it because, okay, if you look at it, black people helped to build this country. To me, black people built this country. Slaves built a lot of the, you know, monuments and a lot of the, you know, state buildings and things that we visit. At the same time, black people have constantly had to fight just to be acknowledged as human beings. And we don't feel that we get that acknowledgement to this day. So I'm still fighting for you to acknowledge me as a black person. I still want you to hear me as a black person. But you want me to now stand with, quote unquote, a new group of people who are now fighting for their rights. Well, where are my rights and where have my rights been all of this time? Like, let's talk about that. Let's discuss that. Let's acknowledge that. And now let's and then let's move on to some of the other groups. And I honestly think that's how a lot of black people process this and process activism. I think it's a it's a really a difficult subject. And then, you know, when you're gay and you're black, you're often not accepted in large groups of gay, I'll say large groups of gay white men. As a gay black man, you often are not accepted. So then it's difficult to rally with people who you know good and well when the march is over, when it comes time to go to that bar or go to that club or just to have a simple conversation you will not be included. So it's, it's really difficult, and I think it's very complicated for gay people of color in this, com- in this country to find where their place is. If it's not in the mainstream LGBTQ liberation movement, and if it's not in a larger movement for the advancement of black people mm-hmm. or people of color. I do. I think it's a... It's a it's a tricky thing. So I, I think that it's important. One of the things that I often hear you ask people um, <laughs> is what do they think queer PLC culture is here in Vermont? And to me, I don't know that it really exists. Um, and again, I think it's, it's very tricky because and we had a discussion about this before, you have different types of people of color, right? So you have, you have people of color, and I often speak about black people because I'm black, and it's just easier to always go back to that. So for instance, I'm black. I was raised by a black family. I always see myself as a black man. A few of the black people who I've met here were raised by white people, um, whether they were adopted or let's say they're mixed race, and so one of their parents is white, and that's the parent they grew up with. I think that our experiences are very, very different. I think that our interests are very different. The language that we use is very different. And I think that sometimes people don't know how to approach you. They don't know how to interact with you. White people? I think white people, and I think... Are there people of color who weren't raised... In the, in the culture that you were raised in? Yeah, definitely. Okay. I think that people of color have the same preconceived notions that white people have often when they 
did not grow grow up around other people of color. I know that there have been several instances where I have tried to get to know people here, people of color here, and on the surface they're very nice. Like, oh, hi, you know, it's it's great that you're here. We're so happy to have you here. But then when you really try to have a deeper conversation with them or you really try to get to know them as an individual, they are truly not interested. And I think it's difficult for these people who date white people, were raised by white people, have all white friends, and then this, and I call myself very black, even though, you know, some other people try to take away from that. But then you have this very we'll black person. We'll get into person. that later. <laughs> then you have this very black person coming up to you, reminding you and your friends and your partner or spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend that you look more like this new face and not so much like the, the face of the people that you've been surrounding yourself with. And I think that that's why that also becomes difficult. And I think that there has to, we have to come to a place where we are comfortable with ourselves, we're comfortable within our own skin, and we are comfortable enough to interact with each other and relate to each other and share experiences like you are doing now and not get hung up on the nonsense. Even if you feel like, oh, I'm black and you're black, but your black isn't my black. Right. Or your brown isn't my brown, or your Puerto Rican isn't my Puerto Rican. I really don't. We, we both are not Puerto Rican and cannot speak to those issues right. necessarily. But I feel like across cultures, um, people who hold the same identities, you know, there's a conversation about, oh, are you this enough? Are you that enough? No matter what you are. Right. Yeah, I will say that that is true. Um, on one hand, I understand that there just there is a, a difference. I know being black, when I meet other black people who didn't grow up around or weren't raised by black people, our interactions are just very different. And, you know, I yes, I grew up in a predominantly white area, but... I was raised by a very strong black family. So just simple things. Like if I walk up to someone and I say, oh, Insecure is, is premiering tonight, or the season <laughs> premieres tonight. I'm going to get excited. <laughs> and they're looking at me, and they don't really know what I'm talking about. Or if I say, hey, Nikki CD just dropped. What songs do you like? Like simple, easy things. I'm not even that talking Coco about. That Coco Chanel is fire, though. <laughs> it is fire, right. though. And Foxy Brown is on it, so, I, you know. We've. Um, but. You know, my point is, even very surface level things, like not even getting into politics, not even getting into religion, not even getting into deep aspects of who you are, just talking about trivial things, people cannot relate to you. So sometimes it's difficult to just break through that initial conversation so that we can get to a place where we can really try to get to know each other and vibe and see if we like each other or not. There, there are cultural and social walls built up because do, is it that you feel that some people are trying to align themselves more with whiteness at all costs and some of those easy, some of that easy collateral damage is like cultural, pop cultural stuff like are you audience here? No, I'm watching Game of Thrones or no, whatever. Right. Like, I don't know, whatever the right. case may be. And I love Game of Thrones. Let me just. I mean, that's, and that's not, they don't have to cancel each other out, but I feel like. Right. I, I think it often happens with music. 
Okay. I think that's the that's the largest example that I have seen. Um, just being in a car with people, and you know how they say never touch a black man's radio. So you know this. The... That's from a film that <laughs> honestly most people would agree is at best problematic. But I also think that the I do think that in our community music is very strong. It's a strong part of who we are. It's how we get a lot of messages out. It's how we communicate. So when you are surrounded by a lot of people who simply don't even like the music that you like. So we're riding in a car, we're in a car for an hour, and the songs that I want to listen to drive you crazy, and the songs that you want to listen to drive me crazy. It, it, it's, just, it's just one more simple uh, and very shallow example of just the differences. And I think that's why when people say, why are you always bringing up race to tie it back to that? It's, it's a, there's a constant reminder, but I, would, I joke about it. Like I may say, can we listen to some black music? And then someone will get offended and say, well, what is black music? Well, it's music by black artists. It's music that you will hear in the black community. So I don't think that we always have to get offended by everything. And that's what I'm saying. Like, be comfortable understanding the different dynamics of race. Be comfortable discussing race or acknowledging that, you know, I'm black and I like different music than you like. I like different shows than you like. And it's not a joke. It's not like, LOL, well, what is that? It's like something real. It's actually like, it's something you can find for yourself. It's not just like a funny thing I'm saying, black right. music. You know what I mean? Like, it's, right. yeah. But I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out then how do you, how do you get people comfortable to discuss and to understand certain things? Um... So there's a new, there's a book that came out recently. It's called White Fragility mm -hmm. by Robin D'Angelo. I think everyone should, um, maybe if not, you know, purchase copies, check out, see if your local library has a copy, um, browse on Amazon, maybe read a couple pages, see if it's something you're into. But White Fragility is um, written by a white um, author, and um, she's talking about this phenomenon whereupon white people are simply unable to talk about race mm -hmm. or racism at all, basically without falling to pieces. Right. Any thoughts on white fragility? I think that part of it comes from... Uh, I think part of it comes from being very scared to say things. I think part of it comes from I really don't want you to think I'm racist. I really don't want you to think that I don't like black people. So I would much rather not even acknowledge the differences, not even acknowledge the way that you're treated, not even get into a conversation with you about this because I don't know where it's going to go. Perfect example, I marched in one of the earlier Black Lives Matter marches in D.C. And I was having a conversation with a coworker of mine who used to be a cop. And she said, and I had become pretty close with this person, and she told me that she has no tolerance for that sort of thing. It's, there's no such thing as black lives matter. All lives should matter. And she said that she told her police friends that she would have put the wooden, the wooden or rubber bullets in the gun, and she would have shot all of them. This was at the time where a lot of the marches were spilling into traffic and people were stopping cars 
and you know people were forcing others to listen to their voices and she said that's simply not the way to go about doing it and they should all be shot so i said to her when you come from a place where no one is interested in hearing what you have to say and no one is willing to listen to you sometimes you do have to force people to listen to you and she actually said that she and her boyfriend she was dating a black guy at the time they broke up because he was a civil rights activist and she was a police officer and this was during Ferguson and she sided with the police officers and obviously he did not and her boyfriend was black um and i asked her if she had if she had read the articles or you know really tried to understand the case dealing with Ferguson and she said no. Uh she said I know how we are trained as officers and I know that I don't even need to read the case. I understand that we are trained to protect ourselves and to protect the citizens and you know if a police tells you, if a police officer tells you to stop then you stop and you know she got into that whole speech about that sort of thing. And I tried to articulate to her that these these situations are not always black and white. and you shouldn't be trained to shoot first and ask questions later. And obviously that conversation went into a direction that where we, neither one of us were able to compromise. So we honestly just separated from each other uh after that. And I think that it's unfortunate because I I enjoy interacting with people who do not think the way that I think. I enjoy getting to know people who are very different from I am. um i know that it sounds like bullshit but it's true uh because i like to hear other people's perspectives but when you get to a place where someone is simply not willing to acknowledge any fault and where someone is not willing to acknowledge the differences of being black and being white in this country i don't know that there's anywhere else that you can go in that conversation some people are simply not willing to to even try to understand what it's like for other people in this country and it's it's odd that this spills over into dating and relationships too and it's it's so crazy to me how many people will date how many white people will date people of color when they really have no interest in comprehending the differences of our lives in this country and i you know there was a white guy one time that tried to talk to me but every time i posted about race relations or every time i posted an article or every time i brought it up it made him very uncomfortable and he said i don't understand why you have to bring this up all the time and i said you know we both lived in the dc area but our experiences are very different and he said and this is another one who said you know i just don't see color and i don't understand why you have to keep bringing it up and i tried to articulate to him why i brought it up i tried to articulate to him the differences between being black and being white in this country and he honestly was not interested in hearing it he would stop he became very unresponsive so you know that's a, just another person who i just lost communication with and i didn't feel that it was necessary to continue to interact with someone who wants to sleep with black men, wants to date black men, who even live with a black man, but he has no interest in truly getting to know these black people that he's laying down with. But I I blame us more than I blame him.
for not forcing him to get to know us and for for not forcing him to understand who we are as a people before we lay down with them. I mean, I didn't lay down with them, but I'm just saying. I think that I think that a lot of the ownership in these situations also falls on us. Look, every white person is not going to be interested in hearing what it's like to be black. A lot of them don't care. And it's is that some of their fault? Yes. But at the same time, if you are a man of color and you find yourself being accepted into predominantly white communities, gay white communities, and they and you start to feel like you're one of them and they say things and they do things that are contrary to progress that's your fault for allowing that to continue and for not stepping in and stopping them and saying something so that's why i say that i I think that there's some fault on both sides in some of these situations which i'm sure i'll get some hate mail for but it is what it is and we will send that to (laughs) What's your Gmail? What's it? Reggie.com. Ah! <laughs> You're an anime fan. I am an anime fan. A huge anime fan, actually. What can you tell us about that? You know, I think I got into it when I was fresh out of high school or early in college. Uh, I stumbled across Adult Swim. On Cartoon Network, and I think uh, I think it was Inuyasha. That was my favorite one. Still is one of my favorites. I stumbled across it. I fell in love with it. I became obsessed with it. And what? Ten years later, I'm still into it. You ever go to any comic cons? I haven't, but I'm really interested in dressing up and going to one. Um, I did dress up with an ex of mine one time as uh, Batman and Robin. I saw that pic. <laughs> Did you? It's pretty far back. you sent it to me. I don't think I sent it to you. You're definitely dressed up as some kind of character. But yeah, we did that, and um, we went to California. Uh, it was a good time. We walked in the uh, Halloween parade in West Hollywood. Yeah, you definitely sent that pic. <laughs> I think you scrolled down my timeline and came across it. But Listen. But we can check. We can check the history. Receipts? Yes. But yeah, I think it's fun. Uh, I think it's different. Uh, I think it's a way to express yourself and to kind of escape the everyday. Uh, so it's just one of my guilty pleasures, I guess. Which ones are you up on now? Which uh, which anime are you consuming? Uh, <clears throat> so before I met with you today, I was actually watching JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, that's probably my favorite one right now. Basically, this... Uh, this guy, his mother was put under a spell, and he and his friends have to travel the world and fight different people around the world in order to find a cure to this spell his mother has been put under. It's, it's pretty good. I uh, definitely encourage you to watch a few episodes. Sounds riveting. <laughs> we all have those things that we're into, right? I don't know what you're talking about. Mine are just legal things. Okay, listen. That's getting edited out <laughs> yesterday. Listen, listen. I wasn't talking about you. I was just saying in general. I'm talking about you. Listen, I have a serious question. All right. If your stomach is upset, 
Pepto-Bismol or Tums? Imodium. Go on. I think it's the stronger product. You take a couple Imodium and you probably will not go to the bathroom for the rest of the week. Okay, we're leaving that in. <laughs> you can't edit out the things that benefit you and <laughs> leave the things that make me look crazy. I love you a lot. I know you do. I love you and I think you're really awesome. Um, um, so I know you think you answered this question, but I still want to ask you, what does black and brown queer culture in Vermont look like to you? As I mentioned, I... Look, I do think that I do acknowledge and I do respect a lot of the progress that people here are making. I definitely appreciate this podcast and appreciate people here who are interested in hearing and getting to know these individuals who are coming here who don't look like everyone else here. I can, I can respect that. I also feel that we have to stop being scared of each other and we have to acknowledge each other. It's as simple as saying hello. It's as simple as shaking hands. It's as simple as having a two or three minute conversation. If you go to a party or you go to an event and you see another brown face there, don't be afraid to walk up to that person and acknowledge that person and make that person feel comfortable being in that space. It's great that you have your white boyfriend and that you have your white friends. This isn't pointed. Um, <laughs> but, you know, don't be afraid to acknowledge and, and to try to get to know some of these other people. And I do not believe and I do not think that everybody of color has to be friends. I don't think that we all need to hang out and hold hands and sing Kumbaya, but I do think that we can acknowledge each other. You know, a lot of times, uh, a lot of my friends laugh about this, but if I'm walking down Church Street or, or if I'm walking around downtown in Vermont and I see another black person here, we kind of just give each other that head nod. If we make eye contact, we give each other that head nod. And a friend of mine said, what was that about? Why, why did you guys, did you know him? Why did you guys just do that? No, I didn't know him. No, I don't need to know him. It's just that simple thing of I see you, I recognize you, I acknowledge you, and you keep it moving. There's small and simple things that you can do just to make people feel okay. When I first moved here, I was in the grocery store, and I was checking out, and this black woman ran up to me, and she literally grabbed me by my wrist and she said, we don't have to date, we don't have to sleep with each other, we don't even have to be best friends, but you're going to take my number. And she took my phone out of my hand, and she proceeded to put her name and number in my phone. Um, she was from Florida, I believe, and she also relocated to Vermont for work. So, and I didn't, I understood what she was doing, but I was still new here. So I didn't quite get that you can literally go two months without seeing a brown face. So now I understand why that was so important to her. And I appreciate that she did that. (laughs) 
Did I answer your question? That oh, time? I think that was fabulous. <laughs> um, when do you feel most browning out? When do I feel most browning out? I mean, I feel myself every day. I mean, every time I look in the mirror, uh, I, I, I acknowledge who I am and I understand who I am. I, I think that I'm very comfortable in my skin. I will admit that the gay part has probably come later on in life. I mean, even sometimes now it's difficult to acknowledge that I am gay. I actually had a talk with myself before I came over here, like, you're going to have to acknowledge this on the air with young Reg. He's going to ask you about that. So it's very easy for me to acknowledge being black, and I'm very happy to be black. Um, But acknowledging myself as gay does become difficult at certain times. Like secondary. Yeah, it's, it's, number one, it's secondary to me. And I say that because people will always see this black face before they even dig deep enough to understand any other components of me, right? So I'm always going to be walking around as a black man. Then there's also that guilt you, that I often feel about being gay and being a part of the black community. Um, so I think that that's a constant struggle and that's constantly something that, you know, I have to work on and that I have to acknowledge. Um, I was actually having a conversation about this with, uh, a friend of mine here, uh, cause he, he was asking me, why is it that women at work always try to hook me up with their friend or hook me up with their hairdresser? And he was like, don't they know that you're gay? And I said, no, I'm not out at work. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, that's, that's really just odd to me. He said, you're 34. Why? hide that aspect of your life and to me it's not always hiding it but I don't always think that it has to be announced or be on display either and I often feel that when women know that you're gay they become comfortable saying things that you may not be comfortable with with them saying like they'll watch a movie or they'll watch some gay movie and then they'll start calling you bitch or then they'll start calling you girl or then they'll start you know referring to you as things that you don't want to be called. And then it's exhausting to have to keep explaining, I'm not a bitch, I'm not a girl, you know, I'm still a man. I'm not your gay best friend. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that type of stuff does get exhausting, so I do prefer in the workplace to keep it as professional as possible, and I don't really need you to know who I am and what I'm about. Which I can understand that some people feel is problematic. (laughs) <laughs> what are <laughs> I'm more like, okay, like it, is there something we're leaving out is there a piece of the puzzle that if you walked out of here you'd be like you slandered my name no I usually do that pretty well um, a friend of mine recently told me he said you don't always make a good impression but you do always make an impression so I try to keep that in my mind with uh, a lot of the things that I say Um, one of the other things I'm often asked is you lived in the DC, Maryland area, you have friends there, you have family there. Why is it that you decided to move to Vermont? Um, in March of this year, I accepted an award on behalf of my grandmother from the healthy start, the national healthy start association. Um, that's an organization that helps single mothers 
uh, receive funding, helps them get a place to live, helps them have a crib for their child, helps them find a job. She was in charge of ensuring that the money from the organization really went to people of need. And there was actually an award uh, created in her honor, and I was actually able to present that award on her behalf and also receive a Lifetime Achievement Award on her behalf because she's no longer living. And I say that because I'm reminded that it's important for me to do something. It's important to me to give back. So I may not give back on that scale, but I'm going to give back in the best way that I can. And I am the only black assistant director in my organization in the entire Northeast region. Out of the 30 offices, there are only a handful of black directors and assistant directors in the organization. And it's important to me that when we get new recruits, when we go out to colleges, when we speak to people, it is important to me that they see a brown face. It is important to me that they see a black man speaking to them and, and showing them that regardless of what you look like, regardless of where you come from, you can achieve whatever you want to achieve. So that's really why I'm here. That's why I took this opportunity. I thought it was a great opportunity that I couldn't pass up. And I'm going to take any opportunity that I can get to better myself or to help other people. And I'm going to run with it. Thank you very much, Brandon, for being on Brown and Out. Thank you for having me.